Welcome back to All Outdoors Photography Podcast, where we share experiences on the field and educate others through landscapes, wildlife, macro, and more with photographers from around the world. And for today's episode, we have Carl Yost on the show. Uh, welcome to the show, Carl. Thank you. Glad to be here. So you're a nature photographer uh, based out of Yellow Springs, Ohio. Uh, let's go ahead and begin by telling your start uh, with photography, and you had a point-and-shoot camera, and then going towards uh, where you are today. Sure. Uh, I guess it seems like most photographers, we all started with a, uh, some small camera when we were a kid, and uh, I'm no different. Uh, my brothers, my older brothers, uh, had a dark room in our basement, and uh, I was kind of always interested in what they were doing. And as I got older, got my first camera, and it just kind of progressed from there uh, and uh, did some stuff through uh, my late teens. And then uh, I kind of stopped for a while. Uh, you know, getting a career and having other pursuits. And it wasn't until uh, about 20 years uh, of IT work that I've decided that was enough of that. And I've kind of reignited my my love of photography and really threw myself back into it. Uh, and that kind of takes us up to where I've been the last few years and just re-exploring that. I've uh, always been involved with uh, photography a little bit here and there, uh, but just more on the... Uh, side of having some fun and not really going out and, and uh, exploring too hard, but uh, that all changed. <laughs> that's really, that's really cool. Yeah. So like how is like working in the background with it, how's it played a part in photography if it has at all? Uh, well, uh, probably the best part is uh, I've never had a uh, situation where I've not had backups because I've, I've uh, spent a lot of time dealing with uh, backups in my IT career, so uh, start, you tend to hear a lot of photographers with horror stories about uh, not having uh, any kind of backup system, so uh, I've protected myself from there, and then just tech, uh, especially with our digital cameras now, right, all our DSLRs and mirrorless and everything, and uh, you know, the, we no longer really have a dark room, everything's you know, digital or light room, uh, as you want to call it. Um, so being already tech focused, it was you know very easy to transition into using the software and the computers and the programs for that. Uh, I haven't been in a dark room in very 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 long time, uh, but it would be fun to get back into that at some point. Uh, but IT was a good base for that, so that's uh, an easy segue to to move from from one into the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. So kind of leading off of that question. Would you consider yourself more a technical or an artistic photographer? Well, that's that's an interesting question. I've uh, I would say I'm in a transition period um, because it, there's obviously the very technical side of, of photography, uh, but I've been leaning more and more uh, into the creative side of things and, and really uh, trying to dig into those pieces and, and find uh, the things that interest me. Uh, and uh, really pursue those uh, where it might not necessarily be for everybody, um, some of the stuff I shoot, but uh, it, it works for me, and I think it has a little bit more of a creative flair than uh, the straight technical stuff that maybe I used to, to do, uh, just trying to get like fast-moving objects and uh, exploring you know, movement, and whether it be in sports or, or just uh, everyday traffic kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like photography is great because it just it marries the two where it's like you got the technical side of it and the creative side and, you know, the le- left and right hand uh, brain. It's just it works out real well for 
um, I guess, balancing those two aspects of people too. Agreed. It, it takes, I think, um, after uh, so much time in IT, you you tend to lose a little bit of that creative uh, piece that you maybe had, or if you don't, you know, it's a muscle. If you don't exercise that creative muscle, then uh, it tends to start getting weak and fall away, and you kind of have to tune back into that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely a balance. Um, so, yeah, maybe about the aspect, because a lot of your work's in nature, of course. Like, how did that come into uh, play here? Um, well, uh, largely because of running. I was uh, doing a lot of running and uh, like to do trail running, and I just like to be out and see what was uh, happening. Uh, and, you know, one day is different than the next, and the seasons change, and, uh, you know, then I start getting interested in slowing down a little bit and looking a little bit closer. Uh, and as you know, running with any kind of serious camera gear isn't really practical. Uh, so it turned into doing more hikes and uh, just kind of exploring uh, nature and being out and looking at things a little bit differently instead of running by them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So are you, nowadays, are you kind of returning to the same locations or are you always out hiking kind of trying to find new spots? Well, there's, it varies. There's, there's a few things like, uh, so I have ideas in my mind of like, oh, I really want to shoot this or, you know, there's always those locations that give you trouble that you can't get quite the right image. So there's some that I, I'm always returning to because I'm still trying to get what I want out of it and haven't, haven't succeeded yet. And there's, uh, uh, but then there's always that, that looking for, for new stuff. And, uh, of course, that was a bit of a problem with uh, when we were going through the pandemic of, of going too far from, you know, being able to find things. Uh, but so I was exploring mostly just around the, the Yellow Springs area, which, you know, luckily we have so many parks and uh, great places to get in the trails to, to go around. So I would definitely like to uh, start expanding out uh, and away from uh, the area a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I mean, Yellow Springs has some amazing parks and trails and just places that are very photogenic to hike in and just, you know, photograph, of course, too. Um, so, like, what are some of your recommendations for people that visit that area? Well, I, I think if you're if you're up for a fun hike uh, and you don't mind a long hike, uh, a lot of people don't realize that uh, Glen Helen is actually connected to John Bryan and you can actually uh, uh, hike through. Uh, from one to the other and I think that's a that's a great thing to do and because there's so much to see the trails are uh, a little less a uh, little less used so it's a lot of fun to get out there uh, and one of my other favorite uh, areas is actually called the South Glen uh, which is uh, um, off of Grinnell Road um, kind of close to where the Grinnell Mill is. Uh, there's a little parking lot there I think it maybe holds four or five cars and there's a little bit of a, a uh, trail back there that you can go and hike and it doesn't get a lot of use uh, but it's still a kind of a nice unique area mm -hmm. yeah that whole section's really underappreciated uh, the South Glen that is I mean they have that that cover bridge I think they recently restored or not restored uh, but they repainted because um, that tons of graffiti over it um, but yeah <laughs> yeah they did um, and that was kind of you know that's the old I think that's the old cemetery road um, covered bridge, if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong on that, that they had moved over there uh, at one point. Uh, but yeah, it had gotten tons of graffiti, but that's a nice 
in a nice set of paths back there and of course you uh, come to the back side of the riding center there too which is kind of cool so uh, if the horses are out there to check up on you <laughs> yeah agreed yeah it's definitely an underappreciated spot yeah yeah so what kind of subject um, are you looking for when you hit these trails um i i i'm big into um uh paths i like just the trail or, or the you know single paths with uh, <clears throat> i typically don't have people in my uh, uh in my scenes i think there's only a handful of, of that i actually have done that uh i like a lot of uh individual landscapes uh you know single trees or you know just a few trees or uh really isolated uh objects in nature um and then i like kind of the the other end of that is just kind of a sweeping landscape you know something that uh uh where you you mine kind of wanders uh, out to the horizon uh and uh you can kind of get lost or kind of transported there a little bit in the in the photo so those are the things i'm i'm after um sometimes it works out better than others as you know <laughs> uh and then uh sometimes it's uh um the the macro photography you know getting really close into things uh is also something i like doing um it's a little frustrating i don't know if you guys have found the same when you're trying to share that stuff online is a lot of the the detail gets lost you, you really need to see it uh you know printed in a much bigger uh, fashion to to really appreciate uh, some of what you capture there a, a facebook or an instagram post doesn't really quite do it justice uh when when you're posting those to share so those are a little bit more frustrating as far as sharing your work i think yeah, I, I would agree. It's like, especially with macro, um, from a technical standpoint, you got like, if you don't focus stack, or if, even if you don't know, like, your focusing point uh, pretty well, like, when you're taking the image, it's it's hard to nail that really in the final, you know, I guess, output. Um, so that can also be hard to translate um, with, like, image editing, too. Great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so is there like, what kind of like themes, I guess, do you like to share in your work? You said, you mentioned a little bit about how you want to transport people like with a horizon line into the frame, but like, is there any other specific like, I guess, ideas or themes you want to share? Yeah, there's um, a, a reoccurring theme in, in a lot of my stuff is uh, uh, individuality or, or being solo. Uh, if you will, or, or some kind of an isolation uh, type of theme uh, tends to run throughout. I've been uh, approaching uh, more and more black and white um, as I, I've been moving forward, uh, just because I've been a little bit more interested in the uh, the, the structure of, of the contrast uh, that I think comes through a little bit better than always shooting color. I still like shooting in color, obviously, uh, but the, uh, the, the mix of, of the two is uh is kind of where i'm at leaning a little bit more towards the black and white right now and will you shoot like directly for black and white or will you decide when you get back to the computer um it varies there's been a a few times where uh i take a shot and then i i, I look at it when i get back and i'm like this doesn't quite feel right and uh it feels better in a black and white um, and then there's been other times where I've uh, seen things where I immediately knew I want this black and white. And uh, one of those which uh, 
I, I did a couple shots up at uh, Antioch College here in town, uh, and it was one of those mornings where you know we still kind of had a uh, a low fog or, or mist hanging over the area. And, uh, it was uh, had some cloudy skies, and it was just very ominous looking. And it just I knew right away it was going to be the perfect black and white image. For instance, that that just worked perfectly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, black and white's great just because it. You know it like evokes a certain mood that you just don't get with color sometimes. And uh, that like when you strip away the color and you're just left with shadow and light detail and contrast, it's, it can really produce some really cool results like that too. I think it, it, it causes your brain to try to fill in uh, and look at things a little bit differently because you know, we're so used to everything being colorized. And when you're, when you're forced with looking at that image, then you're, you kind of try to fill in the blanks of uh, what those colors might've been, uh, takes a little bit of a different meaning yeah definitely yeah i feel like a lot of color images you know kind of like pull people's eyes towards them a lot more just because they're so much brighter but like black and white kind of allows a more contemplative feel maybe with it yes i agree mm-hmm. yeah definitely so you mentioned about your uh, basically doing the trail running and that kind of got you into hiking and doing the photography more and then with the it stuff where it's just kind of like a nice break from it um, but were there any like big photographer inspirations um, starting out or even now? Um, I'm kind of all over the board. Um, it, there's a lot of photographers I, I really like. Uh, one of my, my favorites recently has been uh, uh, Saul uh, Leitner. Did I say that right? Um, it is one that's... Uh, I like a lot of his, his work and he's got... Uh, some of his i can't remember the name of his photo book but his is one that i I really enjoy quite a bit uh but i don't a lot of the photographers that i like to look at their work are not in the same uh vein as i shoot um and it's not intentional it just seems to be the way it ends up but uh it's uh i feel like for a lot of my work i kind of know what i want to go shoot and so I don't want to, I don't want to say spoil it, but I don't want to get too much influence from other people's work. Uh, and I like to try to play around with mine and, and, uh, cause I've certainly seen stuff where I've been, uh, second guessing like, did, did I do this because I saw this other image and, you know, you, you worry about, you know, just trying to copy, which, you know, everything is, is always going to be a little bit different, but, uh, I try to keep the stuff I shoot a little bit unique. So, um, I think every photographer out there that's taking stuff um, that that's sharing it is got something uh, beneficial and useful to say that we can all take from, whether they're a huge name or just somebody starting out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's tough nowadays when literally everyone has a camera, like in this instance, like their phones in their pockets. But like, it's hard to like differentiate yourself. And um, I, I really respect that where you say it's like you, you try to maybe shy away from looking at other people's work just because it will influence you more and you're, you're really honest and open about it. Um, but yeah, how has how like really seeing other people's work that's maybe outside of your genre helped influence your nature photography? I think a lot of it comes down to uh, seeing how other people uh, have handled color or, or black and white really it could be either and and seeing somebody who took a different approach or uh, had a had a different idea and you know some of the best photos as, as you guys know especially from some of the older photos 
uh, are not the sharp, uh, you know, and they're not pin pin sharp, right? They're, they've got grain in them. They're a little bit noisy. They might not have a perfect focus, but they're still a good photo. Uh, and I think those type of things in general have helped me think about it doesn't have to be a technical perfect photo. I mean, sure, we like it if it's sharp, but sometimes you can convey a message without it being uh, incredibly uh, sharp or, or if it has a little bit of grain, whether it's from being in a film or, you know, a high ISO from whatever you had to shoot, uh, or there's a little bit of movement. Sometimes a little bit of movement uh, is fine, too. I don't mind seeing a subject move uh, in uh, in an image. Uh, there's a image I have uh, called Alone, uh, which is just a, a single uh, uh, cow out in a field in a single tree. Uh, at sunrise um, but it, it's got a little bit it, it's technically in focus but it's got a little bit of movement to it uh, and I think that that just a little bit uh, extra uh, motion helps uh, convey a, a, a little bit different of a meaning to to the image um, it kind of similar to when you start you know introducing I know Ryan that you do the uh, ICM uh, and you start, it changes, you know, how you're looking at things and you can sometimes, depending on uh, how intense the ICM is, uh, you can, you can figure out what the image was initially or, you know, you're set there, left there pondering. So uh, I think the, all those avenues are, are quite interesting. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Yeah. And it's, it definitely, when you talk about the motion blur too, it's more natural to the human eye. Um, and I think it can, you know, bring out a lot of emotions too. And that, that was kind of the next question I wanted to ask you. And this might be a harder one, but um, what is like some emotions you try to convey um, through your photography? Um, it it kind of goes back to that my uh, my previous answer, I think, is that is a lot of it is um, one. I, I don't think we covered it on the uh, Ryan has met me in person, but I know you haven't uh, Henry's the I'm very tall. I'm six, eight. Uh, so I tend to stick out a lot. Um, and so looking at things, especially with the macro work and, and getting uh, getting low and, and looking up, not only does it change my perspective, but I hope that it brings uh, a different perspective to other people. Uh, so that's one thing is just providing a different view of, of the world around us. And then going back to the other uh, answer is just the the feeling of um, isolation and being alone. I think it's uh, I think it's very important to be able to uh, spend time with yourself uh, and be OK being alone uh, and uh, being there with your thoughts. And I I like having that peaceful and that tranquil uh, part about an image and especially as you guys know when you're out shooting in nature and everything's quiet and you can just kind of all the senses start activating with you know the sight the smell uh the you know temperatures and uh everything else oh yeah for sure i definitely agree with you i identify with that isolation aspect of photography i just i feel like it's like when i create my best work most of the time at least it's like when i'm alone so i can you know just focus solely on the task at hand um, do you ever go out and like shoot with other people sometimes? And um, if so, how does that play into, I guess, photo shooting? I don't like shooting with other people. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's purely because I feel bad. Uh, 
um, and I'm sure you guys know how it is. Like you, you're you're walking around and looking at a scene, you're taking this shot. I'm like, well, I think I like a little bit better over here. And I, I hate holding people up, and I don't want to, you know, keep people uh, back from you know continuing on, especially if they're if they're not particularly shooting or they're not interested in the same subject matter. So uh, there is that's a little bit of a a personal hurdle to overcome because um, uh, you know people would generally say no 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 it's fine it's like well uh, it's not I feel like you know I'm, I'm taking up your time and you're not really interested in doing it uh, so I, I recently was in Colorado last fall uh, visiting a friend and uh, he was taking me around and, and we were driving out into the mountains and we would stop here and there and, and take photos and I, I probably could have spent a good hour and a half at some of the locations but uh i felt guilty keeping him kind of held off especially since he was my driver i didn't want to make him mad uh <laughs> I, so you know the, the, that's kind of i find it a little difficult shooting with other people um and i have found on the few times when i've shot with other photographers uh we i think we as a group tend to like scatter and kind of go off on our own a little bit and then we kind of seem to meet back up at the end so it I, it still seems to end up being a little bit alone yeah yeah i feel like that's almost maybe the best approach really is you meet up for like the same goal or theme like photography of course but then you do kind of split up like that i just feel like it yields better results and you may have unique experiences you can share when you meet back up but it's also your photos are going to be different too which is a lot better yes absolutely mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah, so I want to circle back to um, actually your with your height. Uh, I'm curious, do, <laughs> weird question, but how often do you shoot from just standing straight up? I know you do a lot of macro work, but like, how often do you shoot just from your view, I guess, of the world? Um, quite often. Um, uh, even for quite a while, I was I, I went out and I had bought a a tripod that could accommodate me not having to bend over, which was kind of a big deal, uh, finding one that would go high enough, um, and still be sturdy. Uh, so, but I do, I do shoot from that. I find, uh, that a lot of times though, that I end up not liking the shot and maybe that's because it's what I'm used to seeing. Um, and it doesn't necessarily convey something different than, than I was looking for. Uh, I find uh, it. I tend to have kind of a. It kind of is more of a uh, less uh, pleasing angle to the eye uh, when it's kind of straight from my eye level. Um, and doesn't even though I am tall, I don't think it adds enough difference in perspective uh, to to the image. Uh, a lot of my my better images for for landscape stuff i think has been when i've actually crouched down and then shooting more from a you know, like uh, taking a knee kind of position <laughs> that's definitely fair yeah um so a large part of your portfolio like you mentioned is uh, macro and small scene um like maybe what kind of subjects are you shooting in that kind of style and um you know just maybe your process with shooting those sure uh so it, it varies there's there's a few things uh that I really like to do the the first is during the winter <clears throat> as you know the you know are in Ohio it's in a lot of places uh, there's not great amount of uh, landscape to shoot in my opinion because it's 
uh, a lot of gray skies and barren fields and there's only so much you can do with that so i've i've kind of approached doing some of uh the the colder weather work if you will um as a kind of a little bit more abstract there's a image called uh, bird's nest which is a um Oh, what do they call it? Queen Anne's lace, uh, and it, it's dead, but it's it's not very sharp. It's got a little bit of focus on it, but it comes out being more abstract, um, which I think is uh, a little bit more fitting. And then the, the kind of the complete opposite end of that, there's a uh, another image that I have a uh, morning dew echinacea that is a I think that's 38 shots. So it's, uh, you know, stacked uh, to get all those pieces in, and there's a little bit of water dew on it, and the the background, uh, there was quite a bit of shadow, so I was really able to, to pop out the uh, pop out the flower and see the detail on, on the petals. So it, it really can kind of run both sides of that. Um, I typically look for something that's a little bit different or has a little bit different of a, a look that I haven't seen, and... and a lot of it is waiting, taking the shot of something I think that's interesting, and then you know waiting until I get back to the edit and see is there actually something here. Uh, sometimes I run into little surprises, and sometimes it uh, just turns into a throwaway. Interesting. Yeah. So you'll try to kind of get the most information in camera versus you know trying to get that like perfect like exposure that you don't adjust. Is that try to get more data on that side? Yeah, kind of. I, I I find that I find it very difficult. Uh, I think it's a little bit easier in the mirrorless world than the DSLR world was uh, to judge the the back of uh, the camera. You know, looking at the the screen to see um, what the image looks like. Uh, even zooming in or whatnot, I just I I don't like those small screens and trying to. Uh, take a look at the image and especially with the macro work I find it uh, definitely can find out if it's sharp or whatnot um, uh, and that gets it but I, I I need to kind of see the hole and be able to see in a little bit larger uh, of a view to see if it's if it's got a an actual scene that I like so to speak right uh, so so it, it, it just it really does vary I like to get um, I don't do a lot of stacking. It has to be, you know, one, I have to have my tripod and have the time to set up and, you know, get all that. There's sometimes um, where that's more practical than others. And uh, I'll do a bunch of those. And of course, uh, as you guys know, that stacking can take forever, especially, you know, you import them, then you got to apply everything and then try to go through and stack them. And a lot of com uh, computational time and, uh, and then if it doesn't work out and you got to go back and make corrections, it, uh, I don't know that it's worth the amount of effort that can go into it. Right. Yeah. So maybe um, if you could, uh, for people that aren't familiar with focus stacking, like what exactly is it? And like, is it just mainly to achieve clarity throughout the image or is there something more to it, I guess? Sure. So the, the basic principle is when you're, when you're doing macro work, you're working with a very uh, shallow depth of field. <clears throat> and so if you want to have uh, an image in focus from front to back uh, with that shallow depth of field, you're going to have to take a bunch of images at different focusing points so that, and then you cram all those images together so that only the in focus parts are 
uh, are shown and then everything else is blown out in that, that nice uh, uh, shallow depth of field. And uh, so it can, it's gotten a lot easier because uh, a lot of cameras actually now have a, a setting in it that you can go and flip on. I know I shoot Canon, uh, and the Canon has a, a nice setting to, to go in, and you can set how many images you want and a couple other parameters, and then it just fires through them all. Uh, and then you have a nice uh, grouping, and then you can go back and try to edit them. Um, so it's better than it used to be where uh, you would have to manually kind of focus, take the shot, manually focus, take the shot, which was a, a lot more consuming and time consuming and then you know as soon as any of the light changes uh then it starts introducing more issues because then you got to try and correct one image for light that's a little bit different than the other and, and so on so how many shots do you tend to take um in those macro sequences the most i've ever done was 150 uh oh <laughs> well it was just it was because i wanted to see what it would happen right it was like is is more actually better uh and really it seems to me that uh especially if it's gonna be like the flower stuff that i that i have out there somewhere between 20 and 40 is kind of the sweet spot i have found anything over 50 seems to be a little bit overkill um and, and it goes back to your scene if you had a longer scene i could see that you know making more of a difference but uh yeah what was the subject that you shot that 150 images for? Oh boy, I, it was—I don't know the name of the flower. Um, it did not turn out after all of the, all of that work. It was—it <laughs> just—it took it was going to take way too much time to to try and correct. It was this purple flower. Um, I never looked up what it was called. It was kind of a, a ball-looking uh, type thing with all these different uh, pieces on it. Would have been very cool if I could have gotten it focus stacked, um, but the uh, I tried in a couple different programs uh, doing the the focus stacking. It just um, was not getting the results. It ended up uh, just not being able to pick out the detail and get things. And I didn't have the patience to try to do that manually. That's just too rough. <laughs> I imagine there's probably some variation in movement. You know, with that many shots, there's quite the interval between that first one and the last one. As well. Yeah. That's and that's where the the newer uh, cameras really save you a lot of work is because it can fire them off really well depending on your light of course but if you can have a fast shutter speed you can fire them off really quickly and avoid some of that movement but you you absolutely hit it with 150 shots uh, the slightest little breeze comes through and then you get an image that's kind of uh, just a little bit off and then so you try to align that and, and stack it correctly but sometimes you gotta you know throw those out and then you know keep going and and recompile so to speak Interesting. yeah um do you use a uh, a focusing rail at all seems like you're pretty technical with macro and everything i i do have one um i and to be honest it's a little bit heavy so my my pack is already heavy enough so i usually don't take it with me when i go out uh and i rely on on just uh using the the, the camera to, to especially now with the uh having the settings in the camera that it where it can just focus itself uh i rely on that instead of carrying the focusing rail do you use a tripod at all when you do macro yeah almost all the time okay. um unless it's something um like that bird's nest image that i mentioned before uh that was a you know that was a winter day i saw that and the sky was cool so i crouched down and took one shot and that it just worked so 
but most of the time it's uh, I, I use a tripod. Interesting. Yeah. I've heard a few people using or shooting macro and handheld. I'm just, I don't know how they do it. It's like, it just seems impossible to me, but <laughs> besides the yeah. point, yeah. It's much easier, especially now with all the, you know, it seems like every, uh, all the new cameras have image stabilization, which almost kind of feels like cheating. It gets you those extra stops of, uh, of light that you can, uh, go through and, and really, uh, get away with, uh, doing a lot more handheld than you used to be able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. for sure. Yeah. yeah. So maybe uh, shifting gears here a little bit to uh, landscapes now, um, what was like your process with shooting those and what subjects do you look out for? Um, I, I like shooting. So there's a couple of things. Um, one big fan of sunrise, um, uh, don't really get out to sunsets very much. So sunrise is typically, uh, where a lot of my stuff takes place. Uh, I love seeing that light come into a scene. Uh, I really enjoy where you have uh, part of the landscape and not dark, but you know, the light has not yet fallen on it. You're not getting that sun overhead. So that's one, uh, one thing I kind of look for. Um, the others would be still looking for clean horizons. Um, or interesting textures within the horizons where maybe you have uh, a field and then you have uh, whether it, can, it could be a, a tall grass and and then trees behind it and then another layer of trees. There's a uh, an image um, that it's probably one of the, it kind of surprised me. I've gotten the most feedback probably of it than uh, a lot of my images called Monotone Morning. Um, and it was taken just here in town uh, at the writing center uh, overlooking the field. And it's kind of, I guess, a pretty easy study in black and white as far as it's got very, a very dark point at the bottom, then a mid-tone and then a very bright spot. And it's three different layers of textures and it just all came together beautifully. That's one of those ones where I knew it was going to be black and white uh, when I took it. Uh, I, the color image, I tried to process it anyway, just see what it looked like. And it, uh, it just doesn't work and it's pretty ugly. Um, but that's one of those things where the uh, time of year comes into play here in Ohio too, right? So, mm-hmm. Like you mentioned earlier yeah. with winter, it's like, especially in Ohio, it's just, you know, blank gray skies and just, you know, barren fields. It's, everything just feels really desolate. So it's like black and white almost kind of fits the mood, I guess, in a way too. It, it does. It feels like for those four months or whatever, we're living in black and white to a certain degree, <laughs> uh, especially with sure. the, the gray clouds. And, uh, you know, I've been trying to um, get the, 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 the yellow spring um, in fall, uh, and I've missed it every year at hitting the colors just right uh, for when it's happening. I've, I've gotten it in the winter with snow and I've gotten it, you know, spring and summer, but I've never gotten a really good fall picture because our colors seem to, you know, if, if you're not available, the one day that the colors are going to hit, it seems the next day we get uh, rain and wind and all the leaves are gone. Right. So uh, it's one of, that's one of my reoccurring themes that I always have to stop by and take a look at anytime I hike through there. Right. I think you and me both, honestly, I don't think I've shot that in fall, um, the Yellow Springs itself. Um, so is there any like shots that you, like how many of your shots, I guess, are pre-planned or you have like, I guess, a composition in mind and 
uh, versus just ones where you just go out in the field and just see what may come your way, I guess? Uh, uh, probably, I would say probably 20% maybe are planned. Um, there's, a, you know, there's a few areas that I know, like if the weather is going to be, you know, uh, cloudy or we have a fog or a mist come in, uh, I will make a plan to go and, and hit those, uh, those areas because I have, I've been wanting to photograph that subject. I think the softness of, you know, the weather will help it. Uh, but mostly it's, you know, going out to an area, uh, I find, uh, I, I try to walk when I, when, like if I'm hiking in the Glen, uh, you can, uh, hike to the pine forest. I try to hike the exact same route back. There's some deviations you can take because, uh, you know, sometimes the best shots behind you and you don't see that till you're on the way back. So, uh, I, I like to, to get both directions when, when I go. And, and so sometimes it's just experimenting and finding and, uh, sometimes, uh, nature helps you and, and drops a tree or, uh, you know, has new growths or whatnot that really help bring things in. Yeah, that's a really good point, too. I feel like, um, at least for me, I'd be really impatient seeing the same trails and backtracking it. But that's really great, you know, just, I guess, perspective on how to find new compositions and photos that way. It's we, we tend to you tend to think when you're walking forward that you've seen what's already behind you. But in reality, it's a I, I feel like it's a very different view uh, when, when you start facing the other way. So. Uh, those little details, I think, can make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I'm curious. I know you mentioned uh, cloudy skies, but uh, what is kind of the lighting you you tend to seek out? Is it cloudy days, or do you like going out early or in the evenings, or what's your approach there? Um, mornings is my favorite time um, uh, to go out. Uh, I, I really like being there when that first bit of, of light comes up. Uh, so actually, I guess still when it's dark out would be ideal time for, for me to leave. And then uh, there's something about experiencing that uh, morning light, seeing the sunrise and, and things start coming through uh, is my preferred time. The clouds, I, I find skies very challenging sometimes with because uh, a lot of times it seems that I end up with just a crystal clear blue sky which is beautiful to look at but it doesn't do much in the way of photography kind of need especially when you're doing landscapes I feel like you need a little bit of, of uh, something in the sky or else it gets a little too kind of washed down a lot of negative space so um, but I, I have done some some images that I've been really happy with where it, the sky has been just perfectly clear so it can, it's a challenge, but I think it's, uh, anything can work. Yeah. Even, even harsh lights sometimes, you know, noon, it, sometimes it works out, you know, it's not definitely not as high of a turnover rate, but if you're out there, something will show up eventually. Absolutely. I, I think going out, uh, in the harsh light, I, I think it gets a, a bad name really. I mean, I do like getting out, uh, going early, but, I think that especially if you're going to be hiking trails and you're going to be in the woods and the forest, that that harsh light can really be beneficial to uh, to you with your photos and can create some interesting shadows and uh, you know light coming through uh, as it, as the sun moves around. 
Yeah, definitely. And that, that midday light, like you said, a lot of people shirk it and will, they just quite frankly won't shoot it at all. But like, if you go up with the, you know, the predestined idea of like, oh, I'm going to shoot black and white. That's like the perfect time to do it when it's, you know, the sun's highest point in the sky, but it's creating all those dramatic sure. shadows and contrasts. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, you've also done a fair bit of like aerial and drone uh, photography. So maybe could you tell us about the process of getting certified a little bit and what types of photos you like to shoot? So that was more, <laughs> uh, I, I wish I have done more as of recently and it's just something I've, I've not been back at lately. Um, the certification uh, just came because when I when I jump into something, I like to learn about it and know the pieces and and be able to get uh, as much out of it as possible. Uh, I figured so let's go all the way in and uh, you know it seemed like the requirements were going to get stricter and stricter. So I figured uh, anytime there's a chance to get in on the early level and then get grandfathered in maybe for future. Uh, <laughs> changes in the law is always it makes life a little bit easier so the the process actually was was very simple and it's i think it's gotten easier quite frankly because they've they've moved a large portion of it online it used to be that you had to go into a testing center and and be monitored while you took the test and and all that and i believe it's been moved online at least the reoccurring uh, part to renew has been moved online um but with a little bit of studying, I, all my studying I learned from um, uh, Tony Northup's uh, video. He did like an hour and a half uh, YouTube video on uh, what you needed to learn for the uh, for the test. I used that to. I think I probably watched that once or twice, and then uh, I picked up an app uh, on my phone just to do study prep with. And uh, once you get the basics down, it's uh, it was actually pretty easy to, to go through and get the certification, and uh, then you're you're kind of you're you're still limited. It doesn't give you the right to you know go flying at an airport or anything, which would uh, be fun, I guess, in a way too, right? To be able to get aerial shots of airports, but uh, there's still limitations about airspace and whatnot that you have to pay attention to. Uh, so it's not a, a free pass by any means, but it, it does uh, open up a little bit more, especially if you want to make money for it. Uh, technically speaking, if you're doing any kind of uh, commercial drone work where you're going to make money off of that footage, uh, whether it be video or photo, you're supposed to be certified. How they would ever enforce that, I'm not sure, but uh, that's the way it was originally written uh, to my understanding. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my stuff has just been out playing around and, and uh, getting lucky and, and uh, trying to get better at uh, flying the drone and whatnot. Luckily, like cameras, those keep progressing and kind of take all the the work out of it and uh, recover on their own pretty easily. For sure. So you aren't shooting many drone photos at the moment or lately? No, it, it's probably been uh, it's probably been over a year since it's probably last summer since I last had my drone out. Uh, I, I had contemplated. Uh, I recently took a trip and I was over in Italy. I contemplated uh, taking it with me over there because it looked like I, you could, I could get away with registering it and using it, but uh, it was just more additional weight I didn't want to have to lug with me. <laughs> right, fair enough, yeah. Do you have a really big drone or is it just like? No, I have the Mavic too. Okay. Uh, so it is, it's not as big as, uh, you know, the, 
the Inspire, I think, isn't that the big one? Uh, it folds up pretty nice, but still, with you know, once you start adding the batteries and the controller and everything else, and uh, it was, do I want lenses or do I want a drone? And I opted for lenses. <laughs> right, right, makes sense. <laughs> yeah, I have the Mavic Air, and it's like it just folds right in my pocket. It's like a few grams. It's it's perfect for what I do, and I just I do really minimal stuff with drones, but just some video footage and all that. But yeah, and that's what I was looking at as well as of switching to uh, something lighter like the Air to be able to uh, make a little bit more feasible to carry around. For sure. Yeah, I mean the the few photos I've taken with it, it's like it's really good quality. I'm actually kind of surprised. And then of course you got that smooth gimbal uh, video footage that works really well too. But um. It- it kind of feels like cheating, right? Like it's mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> that you can throw something up there that it's made it so accessible. I I think it's great. I think uh, uh, you know we were talking earlier about you know different in, in perspective of you know getting low or or in this case getting as uh, you know as high up as you can. So uh, a lot to be seen. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, it's. It's no secret that I do a little bit of homework on our guests uh, before the recording, but um, I was looking at some of your photos, and you had this one of um, a local horse park that um, you and I have both been to, and um, just the perspective of these two uh, people on their horses, and it was like midday light, but you know, seeing it from the top-down view casted those shadows, and it just, I, had, I stared at it for like a few minutes. I was just blown away at this perspective. I never like considered it. It was really, really cool. That was just a really, really lucky event. Uh, that was the Twin Towers Air Park uh, out there. And I just saw, when I was flying my drone around, I just, it, nobody else was there. And then uh, those two horses and their riders showed up and they went into opposite uh, rings. And I just couldn't believe my luck. And uh, the sun hit just perfect. And uh, they have, uh, uh, the sh- you know, you can see when you look closely, you can see at, uh, you can see the riders on the horse, but then you can also see their shadows and it kind of plays a trick on the eye of trying to see which is which, uh, uh, what you're looking at, which I, I, I love that photo. And then that's one of those that just doesn't convey online, right? Like you, you kind of need to see it in person or, or on my website as opposed to uh, on social media because you just can't see the detail well enough. Yeah, definitely. It had almost, it's like, at first it felt like a two-dimensional thing because I was just viewing it on a screen, like you said, right? But it does have so much more to it, I guess. That was really cool. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And that, that's a good segue yeah. into the next uh, question I have here because uh, your website, it's very interactive, which is really cool. Um, not only do you have prints for sale that viewers may purchase, um, but you have this, like, uh, augmented reality feature that previews the artwork on the wall. Um you know, how does that play to factor, I guess, in maybe some sales or just people doing your work? Um, it, it's um, a little bit of each. Uh, some people have used it and really liked it. it it's I think the biggest help is uh, for people understanding size. Uh, I think a lot of times when people are buying uh, artwork online, uh, we have these ideas in our head that, you know, like a 30 by 40 is this big, but then you realize and you think that'll look great on your wall, but maybe it's not quite the right size or it's too big or too small for how big your wall is. Uh, so that augmented reality piece is a really cool feature to really let you, uh, if you follow the directions and stand the right distance, really see what it's going to look like on your wall. Um, I, I, I think, you know, it can be... Um, a great tool and you you can flip between different sizes right there so i think it's 
it's very beneficial. So I know some people have used it and it's helped them pick the right size. Um, and other people completely missed it. And I was like, hey, you know, you could go do this. And then, uh, yeah, I kind of walked them through how to, how to use it. And it, uh, it ends up helping them in the end. So uh, it, it's a nice tool to have, but a lot of people I think are already uh, have an idea of what they're going for. So how often do you use that feature? I myself don't use it at all. <laughs> the, um, the, I've probably, uh, I would say a couple dozen people. I've probably walked through the process of, of using it. Uh, I, one of the shows, uh, that I was at, of course it doesn't work too well when you're outside, but, uh, I, I demonstrated to someone uh, just, you know, on their phone so they could see when you get home, you can, you know, use this and, and try to see what it's going to look like and and maybe pick the right thing for you so it's a uh it's a it's a great feature to have i i uh, hope more sites start uh introducing the, the that ar capability because i think it's useful especially when you're buying something that's uh you know meant to be displayed and you're going to be hanging it somewhere or sitting somewhere in your home uh, you want to make sure you get the right thing for you yeah, definitely. It does. It does seem like the future, really, with uh, both artwork and just you know items buying online. Kind of winding down the episode here. Um, kind of let us know what's what's on the horizon for you. Do you have any projects you're working on? Any any trips or anything? Or what's coming next? Uh, so right now, <clears throat> um, I'm looking forward to just getting out probably around uh, Ohio quite a bit this summer. Um, I'm involved with the uh, Clifton Craft House. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Um, uh, it's a new kind of co-op that's getting started up in uh, the Clifton area. Uh, that's uh, getting started and getting its legs out. I'm a, a business member there and uh, it's open for anybody that wants to join at this point, uh, but it's going to have uh, artist space as well as they will uh, eventually have uh, be having a craft house there. So it'll be uh, having uh, beer and uh, from, I don't know that they've settled on the, which brewery yet will be supplying the beer, but so there'll be taps there and there'll be, you know, art evenings right there. And the, uh, there's a lot of events that they're, Clifton is trying to, to get going and so being involved with that and so there's a lot to be done with that this summer as they, they gear up and then of course we've got uh, uh, the summer art season I guess you would call it is with shows coming up we've got the uh, uh, I'll be doing the Midwest uh, Native Plant Conference uh, at the Bergamo Center coming up here in July and then we have the uh, Art on the Lawn in August, I think is the next one. And then there's uh, also in August is the, the Clifton uh, Music and Arts Fest. So uh, a lot of cool things coming around locally. Uh, it's hard to believe we're just about in July. So I'm going to run out of summer quick. I know. It's, it's been going fast. So, yeah, I agree with you there. Um, so, yeah, this has been a great episode, Carl. Um, where's the best place for listeners to go see more of your work? So I, I'm known as... Uh, Everything is K-Yoast Photo, um, so K-Y-O-S-T uh, Photo. Uh, either .com is my website, and uh, Instagram is K-Yoast Photo as well as uh, on Facebook. Awesome. Carl Yoast, thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Appreciate okay. it. Thank you so much for watching the Owl Outdoors Photography Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the video version on YouTube as well. You can subscribe down below, and we look forward to seeing you in the next one. Thank you.